Just okay is not okay. Let's say it together. Just okay is not okay. And really, this isn't just for doctors. This is for many areas of our life. This is for the, ki- the teachers that teach our children at school. How many of you know, when you're talking about your child's education, just okay is what? It's not okay. Or the people that serve you at a restaurant. How many of you know if you pay top dollar for a meal at a restaurant? Come on, say it together. Just okay is, it's not okay. There are so many areas of our life where just okay is not okay. And we have to look back and we have to, we have to look at all these different areas and we have to go, do these people have the credentials and are they qualified to do, to provide the service that they are providing for us. And I would say, along with that question of just okay is not okay, that statement could also carry over into our faith. The faith being that just okay can't be just okay as far as our faith goes. But there are times in our life that we wrestle with this, is my faith really, uh, is it really worth it, is it really working? If we were to strip down all of the pretentious and all of the religion and uh, everything, you know, if we, if we got it down to uh, rawness in and of itself, we ask ourselves sometimes that, is this really working in my life? I mean, after the lights go down and the last song is sung and we lock up the church on Sundays and we go home and we watch the saints beat the titans and after we do all of that, we can sometimes be caught asking ourselves, is this really working? Is my faith really, really working? And there's a lot of different ways to frame that. I, I, I want to frame that for you according to kind of whatever group you happen to fall in, and, and you can kind of identify where you're at. But sometimes we, some of us can believe, but we we wonder. So yes, we believe there's a God. Yes, we believe that uh, that Jesus is real, and we put our faith and our trust in him, but our situations sometimes uh, make us go, you know, is, is this really working, you know? I mean, is, is this all just like, you know, uh, 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 is, are we just going through the motions here kind of deal? So you can believe, but sometimes you may wonder, and maybe you're here in this room, and, and you may go, I, I wonder how anyone could believe. Maybe you're here, and you go, is, is my is this all this Jesus thing, this God thing, this church thing, and all of this stuff that, that people do, and, and maybe you're here because it's Christmas and you haven't been in church in a long time, or uh, and so somebody invited you or bothered you to come or whatever, and so you're here because, you know, it's it's Christmas Sunday, you know, three days before Christmas, and, and to be honest, if we asked you, you go, I'm not sure how anyone could really believe all of this is true, and, and some of you wonder if it's possible to believe again. Maybe you're here and you, were, you had a strong faith at one point in your journey. You, you had a, a sincere faith, but you kind of wandered away from that. And, and so you're here and you're going, could I ever come back to a point where belief, my belief system was really, really strong? And, and some of you may believe, but you wander. In other words, you believe in your heart, but your actions, you have a hard time lining up your behavior and your actions with what you say you believe in your heart. It's this whole thing that we all wrestle with of, is my faith working, and is it worth it? Is it worth it, and is it working? And we, we actually have to wrestle with this, and I want you to wrestle with this, of this thing of Jesus being real, and does he really have the credentials to provide the services that, 
that we say that he provides or that he tells us that he provides. So can he really provide everything I need in my life? When, when I'm in the situation at the doctor's office and, and I got some bad news, when I'm wondering if I'm about to get fired from that job, when the relationship isn't working, can God provide what he says he provides for me? And ultimately, the greatest test of all time is, can Jesus really provide salvation? Is he really the Messiah? I want you to say that word when they say Messiah. Come on, let's say it together. Say Messiah. So the Messiah. So, you know, sometimes we say words in church and we don't really know what they, they mean. And I want to just give you a quick little definition of what that word Messiah means. A Messiah means a, a leader or savior of a particular group or cause. A, a leader or savior of a particular group or cause. So that could be any leader, any savior of a particular group or cause. But when you talk about the Messiah, we're not just talking about a Messiah, we're talking about the Messiah. We're talking about Jesus Christ. And so when the Bible talks about the Messiah, it's really talking about the anointed king, the king. Everybody say king. It's the king. It's the one that they were waiting for. So when you think about the, the Messiah, the savior, the leader of a group or cause, and the king, some questions have to come to our mind. Some questions of, well, who is he saving and what and who needs saving and what is he actually the king over and what you know what what is his kingdom and all of these questions. And to to kind of give you a quick overview of that, I want to I want to walk you through in a couple minutes' time, kind of walk you through the journey of this awaited Messiah and, and how the Bible kind of says that this whole thing came about. So Many of us know that there were two people, the original humans on the planet, Adam and Eve, and they're walking around in this place called the Garden of Eden. Of Eden, And it was an incredible garden, full of goodness, and they were walking with God. Uh, we still, theologians still believe it was the most beautiful place that ever existed before or since. And they're walking with God, but there was still evil that was present. And evil showed up in the form of a snake. Uh, we know that that was the enemy taking on uh, a form of, of a snake, of a serpent in the garden. And that the evil actually tempted Adam and Eve. And you know, many of you know the story. They bit the, uh, the, uh, of the, the, the tree of good and evil. They ate the fruit that they shouldn't have eaten. That plunges mankind and in, in all of us into a, a state that isn't good for anybody. And, and thus, a promise begins right after that, that God actually promised that there would be one that would come that would destroy the work of evil and that would provide salvation for all of mankind. And then you skip ahead to a guy named Abraham in the Bible. And God tells Abraham, one of your descendants, somebody that comes from your lineage is actually going to provide salvation for all of mankind. They're going to come as the king, the Messiah, and they're going to provide salvation and destroy what the enemy did back in the Garden of Eden. And then the, the, there's a guy named Judah that is from the lineage of Abraham. And Judah is, is promised that, that there's going to be a king that comes from, from that lineage that, that comes. And, and then all of a sudden, after king, after king, after king, and we can see if you read the Bible, there's over 300 foretellings. There's over 300 
scripture texts that talk about this one that's coming, and it gives all of these little, and we're going to call them credentials this morning, just like you would say that a, a doctor that has a medical degree has credentials. A teacher that has their teaching certificate in the state of Louisiana has teaching, teaching credentials. A chef that actually has been to culinary school has credentials. They've graduated. They have credentials. And there's over 300 credentials that are given for this Messiah that would come. And they're very specific in their nature. They talk about what his lineage would be, where he would come from, where he would be born. They, they, they give all of these different things, these identifying characteristics of who the Messiah would be and where he would come from. But they wait and they wait and they wait and they wait. And you have to imagine from the time that that promise is given in the Garden of Eden, that there's going, to become, there's going to come one that is going to destroy the work of the enemy and provide salvation. The Messiah is going to come 2,000 years past. And king after king after king after king comes and goes, and none of them are it. King after king come and goes, and none of them are it. Now, how many of you would consider yourself impatient people. Raise your hands. My hand is raised. It is a characteristic that God is continuing to provide opportunities for me to grow in because I naturally am not a patient person. And you have to imagine that, I don't know if you've waited at a stoplight. Yesterday, we found ourselves in Marshalls doing some Christmas shopping, and we made the mistake of grabbing an item that didn't have a price on it. Come on, somebody. How many of you have been through this? And, and so, you know, the, the lady picked up the thing and price check on, you know, number four. And I looked at my wife and I tried to say it, you know, under my breath so the lady couldn't hear it. But I said, there goes 15 minutes of our lives that we'll never get back. And Christy said, it's not going to take that long. It didn't take that long. It took 13 minutes for a manager to come and give us a price check. And I was antsy. I found myself as my wife was shopping uh, during that time that I, I'm not a good shopper. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man shopper. So man shopper is I go in and I get what I want and I leave the store. Come on, somebody. And I'm not making phone calls. I'm not, you know, doing all of the different stuff. I'm not like comparing items and calling, you know, my sister to say, which one do you like, you know, and, and, uh, and all of that stuff. And so I just kind of meandered over. I, I didn't even tell Christy I was doing. I meandered over to a couch and I, I, uh, there was football games on yesterday and opened up my phone and right there on the NFL app, watch some football. And Christy said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just trying to find you right now. That's where I'm doing. I'm, I'm finding you. So it, it's the, this impatience that I can have in my life. And you have to imagine history. You have to imagine the impatience of waiting over 2,000 years and wondering, is this the king? Is this the king? Is this the king? That's not the king. No, that's not the one either. Nope, nope, he's not it either. 2,000 years of waiting occurs. And finally, we arrive at this text. Let's read it again. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 33. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, 
and the Holy Spirit was on him. So everybody say that word waiting. He was waiting. There was, there was somebody, and I got to tell you that many people had given up. And this whole Messiah thing had taken on a nature of its own. They literally, they had politicized it at this point, And they believed that the Messiah was coming to uh, free them from the tyranny of Rome. And so they all had their own versions of what the Messiah would look like and what he was going to do. But at many, many people at this time in history had given up hope. He's never coming. But there's a righteous man that we find in the Bible. He still believes. And he's still waiting. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So there he is, and he's waiting, and and God has spoken to him. This is going to happen within your lifetime. The Messiah is going to show up. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. In other words, they have waited 2,000 years. Many of them had given up hope. And Simeon says, it happened. Thank you, God. Before I died, I got to see Jesus. I got to see this promised Messiah, this promised king, savior, leader that we've been hearing about from century to century to century. And you begin to ask yourself, did Jesus check all of the boxes? So what I mean by that is there were 300 foretellings of the future of who this Messiah would be and all of these characteristics. Did he check all of those boxes? Because I'm telling you, the idea that Jesus would check over 300 boxes that the, the, the fact that he could do that is almost next to near impossible. I mean, let's talk about the math here. Mathematically speaking, the odds of anyone fulfilling this amount of prophecy are staggering. Mathematicians put it this way. One person that would fulfill eight prophecies is one in a hundred billion. So for one person to actually fulfill eight different characteristics, eight things that had been said, one in a hundred billion. If if one person fulfilled 48 prophecies, there'd be one chance in 10 to the 157th power. Now, I don't know how to do math, but I think that's a lot, okay? One person fulfilling 300 plus prophecies, the, the math is exponential. Only Jesus did this. It is crazy. The math is crazy that one person would check off 300 boxes, 300 different foretellings, 300 different characteristics. Listen to just a few. I can't give you 300, but I can give you a few this morning. The Messiah would be a descendant of King David. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16 talk about how the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. The Messiah was to be born at Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2 is the Old Testament before Jesus came, foretelling that he would be born in Bethlehem. We know that he was born in Bethlehem. The Messiah would arrive before the destruction of the second temple. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Talk about the foretelling that he would be born before the destruction of the second temple. 
The Messiah would present himself by riding on a donkey. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. We know that later in Jesus' life, before he was crucified, he rode into town on a donkey. The Messiah would be tortured to death. Psalm chapter 22, verses 1 through 31. Tell us about that. And we know that Jesus was tortured to death. The Messiah would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah chapter 53 foretold that Jesus would be buried in a rich man's tomb. We know that Jesus was buried in a rich man's tomb. It's all of these different, very specific characteristics that the Messiah would have happen. And Jesus fulfills them all. All of them. And it's, I, I need you to get this. I need you to understand this because this should put confidence in your faith. When you're asking those questions, is it worth it and is it working? No one else could have provided the answer to over 300 plus prophecies. So then the question becomes this. Why does it matter so much? Why does the birth of Jesus matter so much? And as the band comes, I want to answer that question. Why does it matter so much? Now, most of you in the room have been Christians for a while or you're maybe your whole life, and, and so you, you maybe know the answer to that question. And, and so you're, you're, you're going, well, of course, you know, this, that's an easy answer, Pastor. I mean, this is such simple preaching. Can't you go a little bit deeper? Why does it matter so much? We all know the answer, Pastor. That's really, really easy because Jesus came to forgive people for their sin, right? Like, we know that. Everybody knows that Jesus came to forgive people for their sin. He, he came to forgive people for their sin. And so obviously, that's easy, Pastor. We all know why it matters so much, but I, I need to help you understand something, and I want you to get that, this. And This is a concept that's been getting in my heart the last few days that I want you to understand. Why does this matter so much? Because Jesus came to forgive people not only for their sin, but from their sin. I want you to get this, because many of you go, maybe that's the same thing. No. See, God didn't send his son to only forgive us for our sins. He came to deliver us from our sin. It's not just forgiveness that we receive, because here's what that does. When we receive forgiveness for our sin, we go, yay, that's wonderful, and that helps us look forward to the fact that we can have eternity in heaven because we know we had sin and because of that sin we deserve death the Bible says we didn't deserve heaven and so all of a sudden God goes okay I've got to provide a solution for their sin and so they're going to be forgiven for their sin but but I want to tell you something all of you know that prayed the prayer to give your life to Christ and the prayed the prayer for Jesus to forgive you for your sin. How many of you know that that didn't mean that sin all of a sudden never showed up in your life again? Right? So what happened? Well, you walked away and you had sin in your life still. You went, wait, I thought Jesus forgave me for my sin. So why is it showing up on my doorstep again? See, one, watch this, one deals with the penalty of sin. 
The other deals with the power of sin. Forgiveness is about penalty. And that's 50% of it. Jesus says, you don't have to pay the penalty. The Messiah, the King, has come so you don't have to pay the penalty for sin. Jesus comes. He's, he's born. He lives a perfect life. He dies and he raises from the dead. And that story means we don't have to pay the penalty for our sin. The only reason we would ever have to pay the penalty for our sin is if we said we didn't want Jesus to pay the penalty for our sin. But that doesn't stop the daily struggle. That doesn't stop the anger that shows up in, on our doorstep tomorrow morning. That doesn't stop the lust that runs through our mind. That doesn't stop the jealousy or the envy. That doesn't stop the, the bitterness, the hatred, the unforgiveness in our life. That doesn't stop the lying problem that we've had. We're forgiven for those things, but then they show up at our doorstep. And I'm here today to tell you that your mindset has to change from Jesus was born, the Messiah came to forgive me for my sin. That's only 50% of it. The other half of it is Jesus came to give me power over my sin. Let me give you an example of this. There's a book in the Bible called John, and it's one of Jesus' closest guys. In fact, most uh, people that study the Bible for a living tell us that, that John is probably most likely the one that is closest to Jesus. It's kind of a toss-up between him and Peter. And John writes a story one day of an occurrence that happened when Jesus was physically on the planet. He talks about this lady that was caught in the act of adultery. And these religious leaders catch this lady in the act of adultery. Now, I don't know exactly how that happened. It's kind of weird to even think about, you know, what was taking place when she was caught. But we know that she was caught. And they throw her down. And they've got stones, and they're ready to stone her. I don't have time to go through the whole story. I don't have time to tell you exactly how it unfolded. But I, 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 I will tell you that Jesus does some very, you know, incredible speaking and eloquence and provides wisdom. And in other words, Jesus kind of diffuses the whole thing. And he kind of makes these religious teachers and leaders look really stupid. And they all drop their stones. And Jesus tells the lady... He says, who's here? Who's left to stone you? And the lady responds to him and says, well, no one's left. And then he makes two statements. One of them is really famous, and you probably know it already. But the second one is not as famous, and you may not know it. He says these two things. He says, then neither do I condemn you neither do I condemn you. Then look at the next one that he says. Go now and leave your life of sin. In other words, you are forgiven. Now go and understand 
that you've got a new power that helps defeat the sin that shows up in your life. I'm forgiving you. That's the penalty. I'm releasing you from the penalty. But I'm also giving you power over that sin that shows up in your life. And then the Apostle Paul, this religious leader in the New Testament, most important other than Jesus in the New Testament, he shows up and he says this in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves up to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer yourself and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master. Watch this. In 2020, anger does not have to be your master anymore. Lust is not your master, not your king. Envy is not your king in your life anymore. Lying is not your king. Gossip is not your king. Addiction is not your master. So the Messiah, the king comes. What is he the king over? That's pretty easy. He's the king over you. And he's the king over your sin. If you get that in your heart, you wake up differently in the morning. And you say, today, anger is not going to be my master. Lust is not going to be my master. My king, my Messiah is Jesus. And he has delivered me from my sin. He has given me power over that sin. Sin does not have to control my life anymore. When Jesus was born, he became the king over your sin. Your sin does not have to rule and reign in your life anymore. I want you to be confident that you are not just forgiven your sin, but you also have freedom from your sin. And maybe you could pray a prayer kind of like this when you wake up in the mornings. Maybe you could wake up as you get ready for your days. Maybe you could try this. Just, Just try it. Maybe even tomorrow morning when you wake up before you put your clothes on, before you do anything else. Maybe you could say this. Today, I commit every member of my body, my eyes, my mouth, my hands, my feet, and every other part of me to you today, Jesus. You are my king, my Messiah. Sin may taunt me. It may bait me. It may even try to seduce me today, but it is not my master. You are my Messiah. You are are my king. The world was full of darkness. The reason it was full of darkness is because sin ruled and reigned. The Bible says that the light of the world came. 
to illuminate our lives. The penalty of sin helps us live with eternity in mind that one day we don't have to pay the penalty, which is death, which is hell. That we get life, we get heaven. But then the day-to-day application of the Messiah coming was that we have power. His power rules over our sin. He is our master. He is our king in our lives. Amen? Today, as they turn out the lights, we're going to do something that's just representative of that happening. When the light of the world came into the darkness to give us freedom from not only the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin.